This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. The fight for gender equity has been an ongoing battle throughout centuries and across all fields of life. Although the first women's convention occurred in 1848, the fight continues to this day. I'm Ben Cheever with Look West. We got a chance to sit down with Assemblymember Tasha Berner Horvath and Carlsbad City Council Member Corey Schumacher to talk about the gender pay inequities within sports and how we're addressing it here in California. Earlier this year, Assemblymember Berner Horvath introduced Assembly Bill 467, also known as the Equal Pay for Equal Play Bill. AB 467 is actually a very simple bill. It says if you pull a land use permit or a special event permit on state lands, you have to ensure equal compensation prizes for male and female categories. And the reason we inter- I introduced it is there was a really important state lands decision last year on the Maverick Surf Competition that said in order to pull a land use permit, permit for Mavericks, um, the, they would have to make sure that there is equal compensation prizes for male and female categories. And I think it was the time and place to introduce this. I came at it from the perspective of being a mom. I have two kids. I have an eight-year-old girl and an 11-year-old boy. And I don't want any child in the state of California to go onto our state lands that represent our state values and see different compensation prizes for male and female categories. When I was growing up as a kid, I was six months old when Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs. So that pretty much defined a lot of my ideas around equality of the sexes in terms of um, athletic competitions. And it's 2019, and I don't want my little girl to have to go through that same type of inequality and seeing that every day when we're hearing the news and we're, you know, we're a very outdoors district and going to our beaches and seeing surf competitions where men and women are provided equal categories. And I think uh, Councilmember Schumacher comes from it with a little bit different perspective. Councilmember Schumacher is a three-time Women's World Longboard Surfing Champion, and the two of them actually wrote this bill together. For me, I was born and raised surfing, um, born and raised in that space. Um, I started surfing when I was five, started competing when I was eight years old. And being in competition and also watching my mom and my dad in surf competitions, um, I was raised um, with the understanding that women and men are unequal, that women surfers were not valued as much as men, and that there was something internal to us or something something about us that just um, that we didn't deserve to have equal pay. So as I got older and as I became more educated on on different systemic things that go on, um, gender disparity. What I realized was that um, everything that I had grown up knowing and understanding about myself, um, possibly thinking that there was something personally wrong with me, which is why I couldn't get sponsorships or why um, we, you know, women would be thrown out in the worst conditions all the time, I started to realize that, um, that the systemic problems that were inherent in surfing, number one, were not just problems that were inherent to surfing. All other sports and women in sports experience them. Um, but that there was also something that could be done about them. Because if it wasn't something that was some inherent trait to women, then clearly it was something that was systemic and clearly it was something that could be um, altered. So I spent the, the, the last 15 years of my life fighting for, um, for equality in surfing and in sporting spaces from surfing. 
And when um, I was I started to get involved with with politics about two and a half years ago, I was elected at the same time that um, Assemblymember Bernal Horvath was elected to the Encinitas City Council. And <clears throat> we both um, had a conversation around, um, you know, the, the what if scenario um, that ended up becoming reality, which was that the assembly member was elected to the 76th Assembly District. And, you know, uh, at, during that conversation, it was, well, what if we, we codify this decision? Um, there's been very little that has been done since Title IX, which we both grew up in that era of Title IX, which, uh, you know, allowed us access to sports in our educational institutions. And, um, you know, Assemblymember Bernard Horvath took it and ran with it. Um, she saw value in it. She saw value in, in lifting up female athletes and focusing in on female athletes. And there's just so many people who um, see sports as a hobby or, an, or, or entertainment. And for those of us who are actively practicing and making money in those realms um, where this is our job, um, she recognized recognized immediately that this was a workplace imbalance. And so she um, she launched this effort. And uh, for me personally, you know, there's the professional level, the political level, which of course, you know, it, it's one thing, but on a personal level, this for me um, really solidifies um, the importance of this work and also put, draws a hard line in the sand that no other female athlete after this on our beaches or on our state lands um, will have to deal with um, what I had to grow up living through. And I'm so deeply appreciative of uh, the assembly member taking up that challenge. So a little background on Title IX before moving on. It was signed into law in 1972 and states that, quote, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance, unquote. So if a college or university accepts the use of federal financial aid programs by their students or receives federal funds in another manner, it's subject to Title IX. Now, as great as the opportunities are that this law provides, it was signed nearly 50 years ago and it was the last time the government has taken action to address the discrepancies between athletes of different genders. So why has it taken us so long to take this next step? I don't know why somebody hasn't introduced the bill beforehand. I know I think it's a really great bill, so, you know, and there's been a lot of smart people. I think what I see is you have a generation of women and men, to be frank. The, the bill's gotten through with a lot of bipartisan uh, male and female support. And I think... You know, when you look at it, you have a lot of people who've gotten elected who want to see equality in the athletic space that we have guaranteed in lots of other places. So it's almost like the last bastion that hasn't been touched when you ca when you categorize an athlete as an, a worker. And so I think what this bill does, it says it looks at it and where else would we ever allow pay inequity? Will you never let... Um, a male nurse be paid more or less than a female nurse. You would never let a male teacher be paid more or less than a female teacher. So why would you ever let a male athlete be paid more than a female athlete? And we've also seen with the increases of women in, uh, I think, really popular um, female athletic teams and athletes, um, what you've seen is the difference between watching a men's team or a male athlete compete and a women's team and a women's or a women's athlete compete 
the enjoyment of watching that physical, mental, emotional success is the same. So there's no reason to compensate it differently. I think what you're also seeing is um, the first generation of those who grew up within Title IX having reached maturity and having had kids. And now you have a, a tradition of female athletes that, um, and generations of people who are used to seeing female athletes now. So um, that's a really big piece of the puzzle. Um, it's sports itself is a really interesting uh, social institution in the sense that there's been very little attention paid to it politically. And I think now with, um, with uh, some of the things that are going on within sporting spaces and people that we're seeing stand up and, and have political, politically minded um, uh, opinions and being very vocal about them, um, we can no longer pretend that sports are an apolitical space. Um, sports has always been a political space for, for women. It's always been a political space for, for people of color. It's always been a political space for folks who are LGBT. Um, we're recognizing that now and recognizing the value of sporting spaces and what we can, what we can do with them um, as an, emor an emerging social institution. And finally, I think that the simplest answer to why now is that you have, um, you have people who are willing to take this up, see its importance, and, and move it forward. And again, that's, that's Assemblymember Tasha Berner Horbath. I mean, seeing the value and pushing it forward. Although athletes are some of the most idolized people on the planet, to the point where we build grand statues in their honor, people tend to get a little uncomfortable when they bring politics to the sports world. In 2016, Colin Kaepernick, then quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, decided to kneel during the national anthem before a game. His goal was to raise awareness of racism and police brutality throughout the country. Many people throughout the NFL and a few throughout other major sports around the nation and even the world joined in this national anthem protest. Kaepernick, however, drew the most criticism, receiving death threats from fans and unfavorable comments from President Trump himself. After becoming a free agent in 2017, he was ostracized from the NFL and has not been given the opportunity to play professionally since, despite his talent. When Megan Rapino, two-time Women's World Cup champion, knelt during the anthem in 2016, the U.S. Soccer Federation released a policy that now requires all players to stand during the national anthem, the only athletic organization to have such a policy. For so many groups, including women, who may not have a voice outside of sports, wouldn't it only be natural for them to use this type of platform to advance social causes, much like the way Hollywood has been able to? So why does it still shock us and disgruntle so many when the two worlds of sports and politics collide? Sports is one of those places that we go to escape the daily grind. So there's the, um, there's the external world that isn't fair the way we want it to be. Um, Sometimes you don't get that promotion because you're the hardest working person there. Um, so sports, like so many other different um, ways that we entertain ourselves when, when life is rough and things might not be going right, is, is a place that we go to to escape. Um, like I mentioned earlier, sports has always um, played the role of setting up for us what a perfect, supposedly perfect meritocracy should look like. 
despite the fact that many of the judging, um, most of the, a lot of the judging in different sports is, is very subjective. We like this idea that if you do a good job, you are going to be rewarded. And it makes us feel good when we sit down and we watch that, which is why people get so excited, um, for better or for worse, um, at referees who make bad calls. <laughs> um, or when their team loses. And, you know, there, there's just a lot of investment in what fairness ought to look like. So when you start to hear from those people who live in that space that it's not fair for them either, a part of your illusion about how things should work, that there's some place that maybe this fairness should work doesn't exist, then it, it's disruptive and it's unsettling. And so I think that that is, um, that is really why people would like for sports to be apolitical. But like I said earlier, for a lot of us, sports has never been apolitical. Although the year 2019 often comes with the assumption that all things are equal, Assemblymember Berner Horvath believes that one factor that's been delaying the progress on equal pay for equal play is the fact that so many people don't look at sports, especially non-traditional sports, as a form of work to generate a living income. I think it's probably, as Corey was mentioning, I think it's probably one of the reasons for the, the delay is you haven't looked at that space and really looked at compensation prize as income, right? When in the reality of women's sports, if you're at lower meets in a surfing competition, if you're not earning enough to stay a professional athlete, you cannot compete at that level. And so I think there's this assumption and then you have this jarring disparity with reality. And it's, it's that disparity and that kind of cognitive dissidence when you look and you say, oh, everything should be equal, and then you see it's not. And then that, you know, I think that drives the need for action and one of the reasons why this bill has gotten so much broad support. And <clears throat> I think it's really important to note that, that in the, the history of sports, sports is really that place that we look to where we watch um, a, a perfected idea of what a meritocracy should look like mm -hmm. actually playing out. Right. So uh, best effort should win. And, and that's what we watch sports for. And when earlier I talked about, you know, that is that is very much the case when you have maybe some some simple you, you throw a, a ball into a hoop. But how you get there, how you have access to those spaces is very much impacted um, by your gender, by um, your ethnicity, uh, by your socioeconomic status. Um, and I'll give you an example uh, of how this works in surfing or how it used to work in surfing. Um, uh, back in the day, it was you shouldn't be paid equal because you're not as good as men. Um, okay, so meritocracy, right? If you're good, if you're as good as men, and, and I'm granted, the the uh, top of the line male surfer was the one that was held up and surfing tends to be more of a uh, more of a dance than it is anything that's technical so the male surfer was held up as as the what you should aspire to unfortunately when you would go to a contest and you're a woman you were always put out at the times when the surfing was the worst so you never had a chance to really shine and show uh, how good you could be. Not only that, but when you would go out to practice, you were actually excluded from the spaces because the males would push you out, either bullying or otherwise. So where was it that a woman could really focus on uh, achieving the best, being able to practice as much as she could in order to to attain the highest level of that, that she possibly could? And again, this is basically two generations of, of female surfers um, from, from when I was a professional surfer now are hitting top of the line. They're being called the best surfers for style, the way that they surf, 
um, is different. And that difference is being appreciated more and more. And so the illusion of equality, the illusion of a per perfect meritocracy and how that is not true for, for quite a number of people for various different reasons absolutely does get in the way of, of this conversation. And the more that we're able to tell the stories of, of um, less advantaged um, athletes, the, um, the better we're able to see that, um, that this idea of a perfected meritocracy or a perfect equality uh, simply doesn't exist in sports. Assemblymember Berner Horvath and Councilmember Schumacher both believe that the lack of women in executive positions in sports organizations has played a role in this issue. We're seeing that women who are taking leadership positions as coaches um, or um, being able to be trainers or advocates um, are definitely um, making a difference um, for men and for women, right? There's a, there's a different way of, of holding space for athletes um, given one's experience and that definitely makes a difference. And I think when you look at it, what I see, because there's a surprising number of um, collegiate athletes who are now elected that I know, and you look at how effective their time in, in collegiate, amateur, or professional sports have prepared them for leadership roles. And I think it's something sometimes we overlook. We overlook what the leadership preparation of athletic competition brings to executive um, skills. And so I think the more we have women, and, and this effect of Title IX too, right? The more women that we've had in Title IX who have competed professionally and competed collegiately and competed at amateur level, the better they are at leaders overall. And so what we're going to see is that actually um, working together symbiotically and saying the more women we have in these athletic spaces, the better leaders we have as women. And it's one of the things that, you know, I played amateur tennis until I was 10 years old. Um, I know they're a professional, um, you know, or my mayor in Encinitas was the MVP and uh, um, uh, for Tory Pines basketball. So she, you know, everybody has these different skills and you see it, how it affects their leadership style, especially in elected offices where I've noticed it. But it also is in the corporate boardroom. And that means they know how to motivate a team. They know how to pick themselves up after they lose. How do you manage um, mistakes? And how do you turn that into um, a, an advantage in the future? Those are all skills that come from sports, um, primarily more than other skills. And so I think there's going to be a symbiotic uh, relationship between the two. So given that sports can help us develop strong leadership skills, it's important to look at the different barriers to entry, whether financial or otherwise, so we can increase access and provide that opportunity to anyone who seeks it out. While a surfboard may not be cheap, a surfboard is probably cheaper than most other access to other uh, entry-level access to different sports. When you look at what the cost of playing on a soccer league is or playing on a basketball league and your parents have to drive you to the competitive meets when you're on away games. You know, that's an access issue that other sports don't have, especially like non-traditional independent sports where this bill primarily influences whether it looks at skateboarding or cycling less so, but surf, uh, surfing. There are many sports that, you know, open water swimming, um, rowing, you know, all these different competitions, they're actually low barrier to entry sports often. And so I think starting here is um, is a more inclusive way to approach it. 
Uh, but Corey is, uh, you know, could probably speak more to that from personal experience. <laughs> the financial barriers are are significant. Um, but two things I want to mention. The first is that as we lift leaders up um, and support those athletes um, through equal pay, one of the things that you end up seeing um, from athletes who are in love with their sports is they typically will come back in and actually start to lift up the next generation. There's uh, plenty of examples in many different sports of um, of nonprofits that go into um, socioeconomically disadvantaged communities and um, bring in a soccer ball or make space. And because those people who who have emerged from those spaces spaces also understand um, the value of uh, that sports can bring. So there's the the almost natural cycle of of a of sports sporting athletes coming back in. Um, and again, when we have brought that equal pay element to it, then typically those folks are going to reinvest in their communities and reinvest in the youth. Um, we, we do that a lot. Um, but the other piece of this, too, is um, that there are some sports that have lower, um, lower financial barriers than others, as the assembly member has mentioned. And those are important to focus on as well, like skateboarding. Um, and, but it's also important to ensure that those spaces, like surfing, for instance, um, that we continue to do the work of ensuring lower cost accommodations for folks who need to be able to get to the beaches um, because this is all interconnected, right? We, we need to be able to enjoy our natural resources, but the cost of living along the coast is so high that sometimes that becomes the barrier, transportation as well as affordable housing or even lower cost accommodations. So the understanding that e with each one of these questions or each one of these barriers come sort of this, this network of uh, these networks of issues around them and um, that we need to continue to pay attention to all of those. But starting with the equal pay piece, um, I mean, you, you, I can't tell you how much that's going to make an impact all the way down the line. Although the high majority of colleges and universities are subject to Title IX, and women make up the majority of the student body across the nation, men still receive far more in athletic scholarship funding when compared to women. I think it's staunchly status quo, right? <clears throat> so all, all this is is carryover from a, from a past, past generations and the, the way that things have been done. I mean, one of the, one of the most interesting arguments uh, against status quo within the sports realm and, and scholarships, et cetera, is um, watching the, the national women's soccer team, which you know many years ago became the top grossed watched, the top most watched TV program. Um, sporting of any of any event um, when they won their World Cup, which blew all the arguments that people don't care, people don't want to watch out of the water. Um, they're repeating this over and over and over again. Um, and the the old stodgy remarks that people don't care, people don't watch, and they're just not good enough. It doesn't make sense to anybody anymore. After um, people have watched, now have they have kids who are also participating in sports. So what we're going to see with all of this shift, because this is, um, and, and the assembly member and I talk about this, uh, about the uniqueness with which all of this is happening, where you have a political and a social change coming together to lift up and, and, and um, really move the bar. And so what, what you're talking about is the, the social change portion that needs to occur, um, which is complemented by the political shift that is going on. Um, it's not magical thinking to know that 
this is going to change the status quo that doesn't hand out as many scholarships to women as maybe was previous because we're in the midst of a, of a political shift and the um, AB 467 really is all about setting that we're never going to fall below this mark again and continuing to set the bar so that at each stage the social shifts that are happening that will that will shift the status quo to a more progressive more equitable direction that there's no that that bar is set and there's no falling beneath it again so you're going to see that shift it's just these are um, these are the bones of of a past age that continue to, to persist against all common sense yeah and adding on to that i think what Corey said was exactly right there is so much more work to be done in this space. You just have to start somewhere. And this is where we're starting. And we're setting the bar and we're saying, you're not gonna fall below this. So we're starting with our state lands first. Um, but we have issues on all of our public lands. We have a case here in uh, Carlsbad at a local high school that had a jujitsu competition, nine-year-olds. They paid the nine-year-old boy $100 for winning and the nine-year-old girl $50. I don't want any nine-year-old going and saying that boys valued twice as much as the girl. So th there is much work to be done, whether we look at scholarships, whether we look at other sports um, outside that don't compete on uh, state lands. You look at independent sports, you look at team sports. There's so much work still to be done. That's why I'm particularly happy that Lorena Gonzalez, who's the assembly member who chairs the Assembly Select Committee on Women in the Workplace has agreed to do a hearing, I think in the fall, um, on women in sports. Because when you recognize that compensation prizes are how women compete or athletes compete and it's their place of work, then you start looking at compensation prizes. And then you look at equality, like we have done in so many other private sector industries, you start looking at them differently. And I think so this is like the first step and many steps to come to make sure that we're matching up our political values and our values in California with the actual legal reality to make sure that there's not that cognitive dissonance that I was talking about before. As influential as this bill is throughout sports competitions and really throughout all walks of life, this is not a cure-all for one of the greatest social challenges of our time, the gender wage gap. In some circumstances, females earn 80 and a half cents on the dollar compared to their male counterparts, but in many other situations, the gap is far larger. It won't be easy, but Assemblymember Berner Horvath is excited to address this issue through this bill and the ones to follow. I will always be working on decreasing the gender wage gap. I will always be working on making sure women and people of color and people of our LGBTQ community see equality and live equality in their experience in California. I will never stop fighting for those things. So yes, this is my first term. This is my first bill. There's many more things to come. I think building off of that too, there's there's the political side of things and that creates this wave. And then there's the social side of things, right? So this is going to create so much excitement. It already is creating so much excitement. There's people um, as far away as Spain who are watching this right now. And... Um, watching the precedent that it sets and asking, how can we do this here? We've got people in Hawaii or who are asking, how can we do this here? We've got people in Arizona. So um, this, this not only sets the bar, but it sets a precedent that because sports itself is global, will have global ramifications. 
Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in too is is taking this forward and out so that uh, other athletes and other athlete advocates have the, the knowledge base that they need in order to do this in their own sport and their own state, uh, their own city, um, their own um, their own forums. So that this does genuinely become a, a social movement of sorts that really has baked into it um, uh, equity. And again, equity in sports um, really will have an impact at, at so many different levels, including leadership levels, as the assembly member mentioned earlier. Um, well, I want to thank everybody who has worked to get us to this place. Um, you know, when I introduced the bill, we had all these athletes in especially independent non-traditional sports and it was so clear to me that as women i was looking for an analogy and a, a way of talking about it and in a way you know the the first thought was to say i stand on the shoulder of giants but that's not how women raise each other up right so we have been lifted up by generations of women who have been fighting for equality in a bill like ab467 for generations. And I'm so honored to carry it. And we will lift up those future legislators who will continue to work on this issue, those future athletes who will continue to work on this issue. Um, and so it's just so amazing to be a part of these, um, a group of amazing women um, really trying to make a difference and make our world more fair and more equal for everyone and the generations to come. I'm Ben Cheever. Thanks for listening to Look West. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.